This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Muck Delivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus. Rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to Albion Analysis. Well, it's been seven podcasts, nearly five hours of audio, but finally, finally, we have a win to talk about. Pete, I don't know about you, but I almost don't know how to approach this completely uncharted territory. Yeah, you're right there. Might finally be a positive performance, but... Well, let's not jump to too many conclusions, eh? <laughs> yeah, I think it was, like you say, finally. It's about time. I think the big changes were in the formation and the tactics. Obviously, back to the back three that we've we've said many times, I think the squad is more suited to. Grant Central, almost uh, the data suggested it was like a, a 3-6-1 almost with Robinson operating more out on the left. I think that kind of misrepresented it and he was kind of just drifting around and playing off of Grant and he was kind of like a late runner into the box and, and I think it benefited the players that we got in Clark, Townsend, Gardner Hickman and it worked really, didn't it? Yeah, Grant Central Station does a number nine, mate. Uh, the big, big fan of that. We'll come to him in a in a little bit because he was tremendous. He, from all the data, he looks like he was the man of the match. But as you say, it's almost like Steve Bruce listens to us. We're, we're going to try and take the credit for it. We always do. Looking at the back three, it's what we've been calling for. He converted back to that. Three proper centre-halves, back to two regular wing-backs, Dar O'Shea, Manful effort at right back, but I don't think it's his best position. We've got Furlong and Townsend back in there. And it made it made a huge difference, not just defensively. We did look a lot more solid, but also going forward, I looked at the, the average position data and what's, what's stark about it is Furlong and Townsend just so high, so wide, just making the pitch nice and big, giving us that width. Way more crosses from us in, in this in this game. Furlong and Townsend, both with four each. Moat putting three in as well, which means that obviously there was, because they were so wide, they were pulling players out there and there was space for Moat to put balls into the box, just as he did for the first goal. 
I just think we made the most of the pitch. We made the pitch look look big. We put energy into the middle of the park with Taylor Gardner Hickman as well to take advantage of those spaces. And it just made us look like a completely different team. Yeah, I think we kind of tried to play with a, a trio on each side, really. Like when we were attacking on the right, we had Furlong, Taylor Gardner Hickman and Ajayi all getting forward. And then on the left, we kind of had uh, Callum Robinson, Townsend and, and Moat. And it just kind of allowed us to, to have those quick combinations between them, especially on the right. I think Gardner Hickman's energy um, really helped that because he wanted to make runs in behind and rotate with the other players. And it just kind of drags the defenders out of position. I mean, it worked. Ajay had a cross. We worked out on the right because of that movement and Townsend almost scored early on from it. So, yeah, the shape definitely helped. And just on uh, dwelling on Taylor Gardner-Hickman, because we've been calling for him to play central midfield for, for a few weeks now. And Bruce did indicate in the press at certain points that he feels Taylor Gardner-Hickman is more of a fullback. The problem there, obviously, being that uh, they may not have had the best few weeks and Furlong's not probably not had the best season. But I do feel like we've got two pretty good senior fullbacks. And for Taylor Gardner-Hickman to actually make a space for himself in that area of the team is challenging. But we are lacking in central midfield and we're lacking somebody with Taylor Gardner-Hickman's abilities. Again, most dribbles in the in the team from Taylor Gardner-Hickman. He drives us forward. I saw a number of people saying he was man of the match. I don't. I actually don't think he was anywhere near man of the match for me. I think the the standout man of the match for me was Carlin Grant, who was absolutely outstanding. And as I say, we'll talk more in more in depth about him in a minute. I thought Jake Livermore was was really really good at the base of that midfield as uh, as well. And I thought Matt Clark's performance was intelligent, and Semi Ajayi was an absolute rock at the back. So I actually I actually think you can run through the team and say there was a number of players that actually had better games than Taylor Gardner-Hickman. However, what Taylor Gardner-Hickman does for me and what happens every time Taylor Gardner-Hickman, well, there's two times Taylor Gardner-Hickman's played in central midfield, but both times Taylor Gardner-Hickman has played in central midfield, he brings up the performance level of others around him. Alex Mowat looks a much, much better player with Taylor Gardner-Hickman in there around him, just as he did against Coventry City. Because one of the problems with Alex Mowat is that he isn't, as mobile as other central midfielders. He's, we, we know the qualities that Moat has. He plays good progressive passes. He, is, he has got a bit of bite in the tackle, even if he occasionally mistimes them. His energy levels, he tries hard, but he, his, he can't get around the pitch. But you put somebody in there with him who, who can, who can do all of that, and it transforms Moat's game. Equally, it transforms Livermore's game as well, because Livermore just sits at the base of that midfield. And, I mean, we were extremely critical of Jake Livermore after the Sheffield United game because he was an absolute liability. And I said at the time, I think he should be stripped of the captaincy and I am even question whether he should play in the team. And in a two or in a three where it's not mobile enough, I think that's absolutely true. I think Jake Livermore is a liability that we can't afford. But you put Taylor Gardner-Hickman into that midfield and did you see a single rash challenge off Jake Livermore? No, because he doesn't need to go chasing anything anymore, does he? sums up nicely that if he stays on his feet, he doesn't go diving into challenges, then he's he's a good championship midfielder. There's no doubts about that. Even against Sheffield United, before he got sent off, he was having I said he was having a very good game. So he kind of just lets himself down in those silly challenges sometimes. And talking about Gardner Hickman, I think that energy is really important. He led the press for a couple of I think for the chance early on that I've already mentioned when we Ajay managed to get a cross in. I think that started off with a press and Taylor Gardner Hitman led that and won the ball back. And then he did the same for the for the penalty that he earned. We kind of played a long ball forward, uh, won won the first header and then 
kind of lost it after that, but had it in their corner. Taylor Gardner, Hickman and Grant went pressing it and won the ball back and then, then won the penalty. So... So just just on that penalty, is that the advantages of youth? Because those are the sort of things you, you think back to the, the second goal against um, Bournemouth on the opening day of the season. That's the sort of thing we were doing at the start of the season. Like Moat, I can't remember the Bournemouth player whose pocket he picked um, at the time, but Moat's po- picked someone's pocket for that uh, for that. Um, second goal against Bournemouth, and, uh, and we were doing bits of that. There was obviously. Jake with the, with the goal uh, against um, Hull at home, and there was there, there was there was goals against Sheffield United at home. We were doing that early on in the season, but it's like the lads ran out of energy to do that sort of thing, and we have deteriorated as that kind of a side as the season's gone on. But you put Taylor Gardner Hickman in, who is he's a blooming Duracell bunny, isn't he? He just doesn't stop. He picks Jacob Greaves' pocket for the penalty and gets a very rash challenge off it. And we're going to come to Jacob Greaves in a little bit because I, I honestly think he's one of the best young centre-halves in the division. And he's somebody that I would love to see us look at, especially if we can't keep Clark beyond this season. But that kind of high-pressing energy, I felt like the press was back this weekend. I, I felt like it was like somebody had put energy back into our veins again this weekend. And I'm not saying that Taylor Gardner-Hickman is the one reason for that, but he's got to be a part of it, hasn't he? Yeah. I mean, if you've got one person that kind of leads the press then, and he's got plenty of energy, then you're going to see more energy from the rest of the players, I think, to to help him out and, and squeeze up. Um, I think Grant and Robinson did it well at times. When we were pressing high, it kind of sometimes went into a bit of a 3-4-3. Three, three. Robinson, Grant and, and Taylor Gardner-Hickman kind of leading it in the first line. And I think they did it effectively. But that one player that, that has that, tons of energy that's just going to get around the pitch and and just kind of chase well not chase because he he did it well he did it intelligently but have that energy to get get to players and press them is going to drag everyone else on so I think that was very important in having him in in the team I'm not sure if the press would have looked so energetic and effective if if we played without him just coming back to the front too obviously for this game we moved away from Andy Carroll as, as a striker. And I think anybody would suggest that Andy Carroll has been one of our better performance in recent weeks. There's there's little denying that. But what he doesn't give you is much mobility up front. And especially if you're trying to play an energetic press like we did, then he doesn't give you that. And if you can actually get Robinson and Grant working hard, and I think they did to a large extent work hard in this game. Robinson, I still have a few questions over in that position. I felt there was there was one incident, particularly just at the end of the first half, where he literally waved his man by him. And that's always the, the real issue with Callum Robinson is that he can do that. There was another one as well in the second half where the ball was played long up to him. And I thought, just get your body in front of the centre half and bring the ball down. And he doesn't want to do that. He he lets the, he lets the ball bounce. Then he's trying to turn and face the goal. And it's like Callum, you've got to play with your back to goal there, man. You've got to you've got to just back into the centre half. And one of two things probably happens: either you bring the ball in, or the guy shoves you and you get a foul. And he doesn't do those sorts of things particularly well. But what he does do is he moves around the pitch really really well and I think if this is going to be our style of play going forward it's probably have that energy and then if we need 
a goal or if we need to hit the front and have the ball held up, it's Andy Carroll for the last 20 minutes to to bring the ball down or if we are just getting the ball wide and getting balls into the box to have that aerial threat. What do you think? Yeah, Andy Carroll's not the... Well, he's not very good at pressing, to be honest. He's not got the, the pace, the mobility, and he just doesn't look like he understands the right timings and angles to press up. But so I think Robinson and Grant suit that better if we're going to do that with Carroll with sometimes kind of missing a man in, in the press. Robinson and Grant didn't actually link up too much in terms of the passes. I think there was four passes between them, but those passes were in dangerous areas. I think two of them were in the penalty area. When they do get linking up, it's kind of a threat, as we've seen through through the rest of the season with their goals and assists for each other. Well, like the other thing on that, just just sorry, Pete, just to jump in a little bit, is that necessarily a problem that they're not they're not playing together that much? Because w- what I would say earlier in the season, and because you highlighted to me that all of our shots were inside the 18-yard box, we also highlighted earlier the average position of Grant, which was really, really high. Grant... Ha- has earlier in the season had a tendency to come quite deep and not get into dangerous areas. So does Robinson. In this shape, do they have more license to actually play as a, as, as strikers, as a, as a proper nine and ten, and be in the areas that they should be in, rather than coming deep and sometimes just looking up and going, where on earth is the focal point to this attack? That definitely does because we need at least one of them up there. But like I said with Robinson, he kind of drifted around a bit, spent a lot of time out on the left, which helped out make those combinations out wide on the left. When we're focusing down the wings, which we were, it doesn't really matter that the two central strikers don't link up much because they're not going to see too much of the ball to play around in combinations in that central area. Most of that's going to be done out wide. So I don't think that's that matters matters too much. Yeah, I think Grant benefited from from playing as a, a very central and attacking striker. His role was kind of just get get on the ball in the final third and, well, more so in the box and just try and get some shots off and maybe play a ball through to someone. And he, we did get shots off in the penalty area, which was it's promising because we didn't have too many shots. And I think it was only Grant and Townsend that did take shots, but they were all in, in high-value areas. I think it was something like 0.2 expected goals per shot, which is... I mean, that's really high. So if we can keep that up, then we'll start scoring some goals. What was also nice was to see our number nine taking so many of our shots as well, Pete. Five five shots from Carl and Grant, four on target. Yeah, and a lot of the rest of the season, we've seen quite a few shots come from centre-backs or our set-pieces and long throws and what have you, But which I don't think is necessarily a bad thing because it's a, a good option. If you When you get a corner or a throw-in and you can get your, your centre-backs taking shots, then that's always a positive. But if you only have that and you don't have your number nine getting shots off in good areas and it's a problem which I mean that game we kind of had the opposite which which we can build on really well equally as well just just on that I remember a few weeks ago you 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 highlighted some really really great stats around okay we can look at the expected goals under Ishmael and say because obviously expected goals measures the quality of the chance and whether and, and whether you should be finishing it but you actually looked at the likelihood of the actual shots placement that we take of them going in and it was extremely low it was extremely poor so although we were having high value chances the quality of the shot that we were putting in was not good now surely if you want higher quality shots the best person to be taking them is your best goal scorer isn't it yeah and that can vary a lot but if i remember correctly looking at a kind of stat that can give you a half 
give you a bit of a measure on finishing ability throughout the season, which might not necessarily be ability, but more form. Either way, I think Grant was one of our best finishers, judging on that. So, I mean, yeah, at the minute you want him taking the shots because he's going to add the most value from his finishing ability to that shot. And just, just dwelling on Carl and Grant, because you've highlighted in quite a lot of the pods we've done recently, actually, that data-wise, he is an extremely, extremely streaky player. He is dreadful for a period of time, and then he is brilliant for a period of time. He was undoubtedly brilliant in this game. He, As I say, five shots on goal, four on target, which is very good. Two goals scored. So uh, scoring 50% of your shots on target is not a bad statistic either. Won five aerial duels as well. It would have been easy to look at that front two and say, we won't have an aerial presence because Andy Carroll's not in there. But to be fair to Carl and Grant, he, he, he worked hard. A couple of questions on Carl and Grant for you. First of all, he, like I say, we look at his average position. He was very high. He was very central. He was disciplined in that number nine. So my two questions to you on Carl and Grant are, first of all, have we destroyed the myth here that Carl and Grant cannot play as a number nine, which is is what has been kicked around? And my question number two to you is, which is asking you to do a bit of a Nostradamus on us, are we possibly seeing the start of another Carl and Grant streak? That's the first one. I think... I think I've said it before that he probably can play as a number nine at this level because I think when he's playing, he's a very good player, kind of a, a very top championship player or maybe even a Premier League player. We're kind of yet to see and he's still quite young. But Is he is he in what I like to call the Michael Chopra zone of uh, players that might be a little <laughs> bit too good for the championship but ne- never quite good enough for the Premier League? Yeah, exactly. I think at the minute that's fair to say. But like I say, he's young, so there's plenty of time for him to improve. So I think he can at the championship level. I still think he's probably better coming in from the left. But I mean, you you obviously need to get that the balance of the system right around him. Against Hull, he he was very good in the system that we played and suited that number nine role. So I yeah, I think he can play as a number nine in the championship for sure. And to answer your second question about his a start of a, a good run, all we can say is hopefully, really. Yeah, we've said it many times that he's very streaky in his performances, and it kind of he almost does everything well or, or nothing well and goes through these patches where he's his purple patches where he's extremely good and then where he almost does nothing so hopefully it's the start of one of those those good patches where he'll score a lot of goals and it'll be the perfect time for it as well with a couple of tough games against uh, Huddersfield and Fulham coming up yeah just just on that we're obviously I don't want to don't want to pour cold water on the enthusiasm because god have we waited for this result but Obviously, Hull are a relatively poor side. That's not fair. I think they're a good side for what for, for what their aspirations were this season. I think I think being outside of the the relegation zone is 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 a success for them. But in terms of the championship wider picture and also the form that they're in, they are probably not the most challenging opponent we will come up against all season. Whereas you look at our next two opponents and. I haven't actually seen the form table, but I would be a little bit surprised if they weren't one and two in the form table, possibly challenged by Middlesbrough. Certainly Huddersfield are the form team in the, in the division. They're, they're in crazy good form. Um, and Fulham are just, well, it is just a procession towards promotion for them. So as far as challenges go, I actually think these are probably the two toughest games in terms of 
their timing that we've had all season because we probably haven't come across two teams in as good a form as the two that we face next. Do we think that, do you think the tactics that we employed that completely nullified Hull at one end and gave us a real threat at the other against them will be as effective against two of the better teams in this division? I think obviously we're going to struggle a bit more because I'm in the better side. So it's what you'd expect. Um, Yeah. Like you said about Hull, no disrespect to them, but they're not the strongest side in the league. And there were still a few things that I kind of noticed that that weren't great. I think in transition, when they were counter-attacking, a lot of the time the, the back three or back five was flat. So kind of like a long ball over the top would would take most of them out of the game, which could be a problem against better sides if they can do it more regularly than they're, they're getting behind us and create chances. Yeah, although what I would say to what I would say to that Pete is that Brucey spotted that um, just towards the end of the first half, he told our defenders to expletive deleted sort it out. So I think that there is a, there's a work in progress there. Whereas whereas with some managers, there's almost an acceptance that you give up certain types of chances, and I think there was from Ishmael an acceptance that we give up certain types of chances given the way we play. I think Bruce is still very much trying to finesse that aspect of it. And I don't think he, I think there was a lot less of those types of chances in the second half. They, it was towards the end of the first half that we were, that, that we were coming under pressure and Brucey had a very, yeah, let's just say expletive ridden rant at his, uh, at, at his centre halves just five minutes before the break. Yeah. And of course it's a work, work in progress. Bruce certainly had. What, five or six games in charge, so it's it's going to take a bit of time. But yeah, if we can sort that out, then that'll definitely help. We might, well, I'd like to see us go with a, a similar system, even though we are playing against better opponents. Ultimately, we do have probably technically one of the best, some of the best talents in the league in our squad, even if they have been performing poorly and we've not seen the results. Um, so I don't, I wouldn't like to see us just completely sit back against, against sides because I don't think we are too good just countering either. So I'd hope to see a similar system and play in a similar way, to be honest. And I think as well, you have to feel that with three centre-halves, we will be a lot, we'll be pretty solid against these teams. That's certainly the hope. I mean, Fulham, obviously it's a difficult one to measure because they are just goal machines. Not a fun statistic, but we all know the fact that Mitrovic has scored more goals on his own than the entire Albion squad has this this season in the league. Depressing statistic, but to be fair as well, that's far from exclusive to us. I think Mitrovic has scored more than 25% of the teams in the EFL have in their entire season. So we're hardly in an elite group when it comes to being outscored by Mitrovic. But my point is stopping Fulham scoring will be extremely, extremely challenging. But I think we have a better chance of doing it with the back three. And you and I were chatting off air before we came on. How staggeringly, when he's gone to this back three and we've reinstated Matt Clark, who we were massively calling for to go back in on the last pod, how everybody's numbers just just went up. And not wanting to kind of pull Bartley out particularly, but the ones that you really highlight when you go through the data was Semi Ajayi had an outstanding game. He was an absolute rock. And Matt Clark, some of the intelligence in his play was just absolutely brilliant. Yeah, and to give Bartley his credit, because I think he had quite a quiet game, but I think he's probably our best, what I'd call, box defender. So, he, you know, he'll, he'll deal, stuff, deal with stuff that's coming into the box, win headers and do that kind of the game. Under the radar. Yeah, 
most of the time. I think Clark and Ajayi are kind of the more progressive centre-backs, so they're the ones that kind of stand out more, but especially Clark, because he gave us an avenue that we could build up through that we haven't had in the past few games, and it meant that we, we haven't had to go long every time we get the ball at the back. You can go from Clark to Townsend, and it just I think it suits Townsend receiving it a little bit in front of his defenders a bit more, and it just creates better angles to, to play up and through with the back three and the wing backs. And we still have the option to go long. It's just we're targeting, targeting it furlong. And he is very good in the air. I mean, he tends to come up against fullbacks, obviously, who are generally not, not the best in the air. So it's a, a useful option as well. And that's actually kind of where the play came from that led to the penalty. So, so it's still an option there. And Ajayi carried it forward very well as well. I think it's something that him and Kipre do very well. So they kind of, for me, would be interchangeable. And Ajayi got forward. Clark well. likes a little foray into midfield as well, doesn't he? Yeah, I think he does. And it's important when you're playing a back a back three that you've got at least one centre-back that can carry the ball forward because often they're kind of the spare man. So you need to them to drive forward and then the opposition will commit a man. And that's when kind of passes open up and you can play from there. So I think Clark and Ajayi were both, both very good at that. In fact, and that takes me on beautifully. Thank you very much, Pete, to the next point that I wanted to make. There's not a lot of time that we spend normally on this podcast looking at opposition players, but I just wanted to highlight a couple in the Hull side because obviously we have got a big summer of recruitment coming up with the best one in the world. We we, we are a bigger club than than Hull, I would, I would like to think. I don't know how much money their new owners got, but hopefully Hull are the kind of club that we could potentially look at taking players off. And if we weren't to keep Matt Clark in the summer, I have to say I was very impressed with Jacob Greaves because, as you say there, when you play this three centre-halves, you need one of the centre-halves to drive forward into midfield. I thought he did that absolutely superbly for, for Hull. He drove them forward at times. I mean, what, what's what's crazy? He's then one of their centre-halves and he had the equal second-most shots in in their team. He had, he had the equal most on target. He's got an 85% pass completion rate in that game. He had the most touches of anybody in the whole team in the game. He's, but he's also good in the air. Most aerial duels won as well. I know he's had an absolute mare for the for the penalty. There's no getting away from that. He's obviously had his pocket picked and then he's pulled Taylor Gardner-Hickman down. But young players can make mistakes. These things happen and one swallow does not make a summer at the end of the day. And to the same extent that one mistake does not make a bad player. I have to say, I watched him and I thought, wow, if you want to go and get a, get a, a centre half who you could probably stick on a four or five year contract and just watch them accumulate in value and probably have them taken off you in a few years time for quite a lot more than, than you paid for them. And also have them make your team a bit more progressive, almost a Chris Wilder-esque centre-half he looked like to me. I thought he could be he could be a really, really good investment for somebody, possibly us. Yeah, I looked at the data that he's got over the whole season as well, which kind of paints a, a more accurate picture. And it basically agrees with what you said there. He's good in the air. He's not great in his defensive duels, but he's only 21. So he's, he's still a very young centre-back. Um, and he kind of has similar traits to, to Matt Clark, looking at his... His stats he engages in a lot of slide tackles. He's not. He's a, a good carrier of the ball. Um, lots of progressive runs, which, as we've said, is very important in that back three to have someone that can do that. And Clark does do it a fair bit for us. So if we don't have him next season, then it'd be a nice replacement. And he is left-footed as well, which is sometimes a bit of a rarity in, in centre backs. But 
again, an important factor if you're looking to play with a, a back three. So I think he, he's a, a good option because I've got here that he runs out of contract at the end of next season. So they might be looking to cash in on him if they can't get him to sign a new deal. So young, potentially cheap and, and looking a, a decent player. So yeah, hopefully we take a look at him at least in the summer. And the other one I wanted to just take a quick look at, and this one might be a bit more pie in the sky because he's obviously got a lot more attention and people are much more aware of him. And I'd be very, very surprised if there wasn't Premier League clubs sniffing around him. But Keen Lewis Potter, you, you you talked about potential players for our midfield. And I realise that Keen Lewis Potter plays a bit wider that rather than rather than central. But I don't see any reason from having seen a bit of him play that he couldn't play centrally. And when you look at his numbers... He really is what we're looking for. A progressive passer, four key passes in the, in this game, three shots as well. So he he gets involved in in shots and creation. And when you actually look at his his overall over the season numbers, that that backs up the fact that he is involved in both sides of offensive play, both creating and scoring. That Hull's top scorer with eight goals, most assists as well uh, as well with three. He carries the ball well. I mean, in some respects, he he looks to me like a a, a Taylor Gardner Hickman that's a bit further along in his, in his development. But I think as as an option, and again, like I say, I caveat it with this might be a bit pie in the sky because I'm pretty sure. Hull would have already had people sniffing around him and there will be even more people sniffing around him in the summer. And I've got a funny feeling that some, if not many of them, will be Premier League clubs. But if there was any opportunity to take him, I'd love to see him in an Albion show. I mean, I'd, lo- I'd love to see us do a double salvo into Hull and take Greaves and Lewis Potter. I think, I, I, I think they would not only be amazing for us, but also are so young that... We talked last week about how we haven't bought players over the last few years that have accumulated in value. Unless either of those got some sort of an awful injury, which, you know, touch wood, really hope that they don't. I can't see any situation where those two players aren't worth more two years into their contract than they were when you bought them. And it's a similar situation with him that he's he's 21 and his contract expires at the end of next season. So it could be a time for the Hull to either cash in if they, well, yeah, cash in if they can't get a, get him to sign another contract or he'll see his contract out and go for a free. So yeah, it could be a cheap signing, which will obviously help him increase in value in the future. But he's a real threat against us. And he mentioned his, his goals and assists. And what's important is that his underlying stats back it up as well. So it's not just having a really good season where everything he Every shot he takes goes in. His XG for the season's eight and his expected assists are four. So well, it's, it's not a one-off either, either, Pete, because he was excellent last season. And actually, when 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 they went down, he 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 got chucked into the side a little bit towards the end of that season and and was looking like the one positive that they had after after Bowen and Grisicki had left. Exactly. So yeah, like I say, it's not just a, a one-off season where he's getting lucky and everything's just working for him. He he looks to be a real quality player that's got output at the end of it as well and well that's a bit early to say but if we do carry on playing a similar system to what we did against Hall then he looks like he could be a good player to play as one of those those wide eights if you like wide central midfielders that Gardner Hickman and, and Mowat did so well against Hall so yeah I think he can play anywhere down the left as well if I'm I'm correct so could be a potential wing back or a potential forward or like I say kind of wide eight so yeah really exciting Talent. And just to finish off, Pete, just moving away from the Hull City game, but 
there was uh, an article in The Athletic by uh, the uh, the excellent Steve Maidley, which caused a little bit of consternation on Twitter between the, the West uh, around the West Bromwich Albion fans. Largely two pars in there, which I saw, which I actually tweeted from my own Twitter account, and I saw a number of people tweeting, which suggested that the the players are trying, but they are they were have been broken down over the course of the season due to a number of factors that they felt sapped by the Valerian Ishmael regime and that the what was described as the constant criticism and toxic atmospheres both at home and developing away from home have taken their toll on the players and have led to players not wanting to be brave on the ball and not wanting to take the ball really and, and do things with it. And I just wanted to offer our thoughts on that we're not going to go back through the article if anybody wants to read it it's on the athletic and it is a very good article it's the you know obviously there's a lot of unnamed sources in there so we don't know who who he's been who he's been speaking to to get this information but there is a lot of very interesting takes on where we where we are and how we've got to this point and and the atmosphere both outside the club and inside the club there's a lot of interesting stuff in there so but I just wanted to get our, our takes on it Pete I mean I personally and I tweeted to this end I have a lot of sympathy for the argument that the atmosphere deteriorated at home so quickly when we hadn't even lost a game and you know I was vocal on Twitter around uh, at the time saying that I thought it was out of order booing the lads off at half time in nil nil in games that especially games that we generally went it on went on to go and win or at least get a result out of and I can see how that broke the players down however that article goes on to talk about deterioration of the relationship between Ishmael and the players. And I think we've spoken before about how that was visible against Preston and Millwall. Now, my take on that is having worked inside a football club and at times we we were criticised during during that regime for the for the quality of the performances. I don't I don't think I ever really saw players give up on a manager at any given point. I think they played for their own professional pride and no matter how bad things got, the, the the group of players around that time would always put uh, put a shift in and and do the best that they they possibly could. And the the athletic article suggested that there was a bit of a blame culture going on within our squad, whilst also name checking Jake Livermore and Andy Carroll as two very positive influences on the squad and the environment. But generally speaking, said that there was there was a bit of a blame culture around certain senior players in in the squad. Again, don't know whose sources are and therefore cannot speak for how how accurate that is but Steve's an experienced journalist and I know wouldn't ever write anything without being fairly confident that it was that it was extremely accurate so I have a problem with with the with the players from that point of view and I also have a problem because they did get a clean break when Steve Bruce came in they got a they got a fresh opportunity they got a clean break with the fans I was in the away end at Sheffield United and the atmosphere was markedly different the captain gets himself sent off after 20 odd minutes which is not a good sign but still the fans stuck with them and appreciated the effort from the 10 that were left out on the pitch and I felt there was bridges built but then you go into the following games and it was just poor again really you know it, you've got the second half displays against Luton and Middlesbrough where the players 
let themselves down. Swansea again after the goals going, it was a bit. It was a bit like Preston and Millwall in the sense that when the goals went in, the whole shooting match went to pieces, and there was the total lack of bravery that's talked about in the article, evident against Blackburn. I don't think it was actually a particularly bad display, but there was no bravery on the ball. There was no clear effort to make things happen. And I felt like they had a clean slate under Bruce. And some of it was Bruce's fault because some of his tactics, he got it right against Hull, but some of his tactics in other games has been, has been a bit disappointing. So I have a lot of sympathy with the players for how, how things went up until the Millwall Preston games under Ishmael, because I thought, particularly at home, they were being unfairly criticised a lot of the time. And I thought some the atmosphere they were having to contend with was unnecessary. And I, and I don't think there was a lot of, there was not a lot of fans, but a section of the fans, the fans that were creating that atmosphere were necessarily appreciating how much of a negative impact they were probably having and that they were almost becoming a self-fulfilling prophecy that they were saying the players were playing badly and booing them and the booing was creating that sort of situation. But what then happened after that i just i just don't think i don't think the fans can take the blame for they can't take the blame for millwall and preston where players just completely gave up and just didn't put a shift in and they did get behind them after val went and when uh, and when brucey came in and i just don't think the players showed anything to the point where the fans reached breaking point against swansea and i totally get why they got to that point so while I have sympathy for the earlier period of the season, I think is the long and short of what I'm saying. I lack sympathy for the situation that, that the players found themselves in in the last few weeks. And I hope Hull at the weekend will prove a turning point because mentally I thought that the, the players looked, to, looked a totally different animal. And I hope it will prove a turning point for the fans as well, that we will really get behind this side against Fulham and against Huddersfield because we've seen that display. We've seen that they do care and that uh, and that they, they do have professional pride in this season and that they can work hard and turn out that kind of display. So I hope it's a turning point for the fans as well. But I don't really think that the players have got a leg to stand on complaining about where the atmosphere got to in the last seven games. What do you think, Pete? I think it was a pretty fair review. Uh, Steve, I think he kind of gave both sides, and I think the fans do have a massive impact on on the players and how they perform. I think if generally it's a really positive atmosphere, and the players are going to be more confident and perform better. And I've said that before. And obviously, we kind of got to a point where it's a, a pretty negative atmosphere around the Hawthorns and at away games, especially the Millwall game. Um, towards the end of that, but yeah, it's going to have an impact on the on the players, and they're not going to be as confident to get was confident to get on the ball, like um, Steve Steve mentioned in his article. So I think there is it definitely does play a part in the in the performance on the pitch. But I, I don't blame the fans for for getting frustrated and and not enjoying what they were seeing because we weren't getting results for for well since the, the new year really, and um, not getting results and not a traditionally attractive style of play. It's gonna fans are gonna get frustrated and upset, and that's gonna breed that negative atmosphere so I'm not blaming the fans for that negative atmosphere but ultimately it does rub off on the players so I mean hopefully the players will have taken a bit of confidence away from that whole game and we can see them play a bit better for the rest of the season and hopefully like you say it improves the atmosphere around the around the ground as well. 
Absolutely. And I, I reiterate that because I'll, I'll be at both the Pullman and Huddersfield games. And I, and I have to say, and I'm sure this is the same for many fans, it's it stopped being an enjoyable experience going going to the Hawthorns. And it is what I do with my spare time. I spend an awful lot of money doing it. Again, as most fans do, I'm far from the only the only one. But I think at the end of the day, we want to go, we want to smile, we want to enjoy our time with the people that we sit around and have sat around for years. We want to go and sit and have fun and, and enjoy the games in an enjoyable atmosphere. And I think I, th- I think that's probably, whilst I understand the impact the supporters have on the players, I think that uh, I think as well that this it's probably where where the players need to recognise it from the fans' point of view a little bit that this is not the, the 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 best financial time that the world has ever seen, and that we do spend an awful lot of our money that we could spend elsewhere going to see these football matches, and when you're not enjoying them. It is your outlet. It is where where you where you want your entertainment. And if you're not getting it from those games, then there will be a huge element of frustration because you're taking a lot of enjoyment away from people's lives. And that is that's the that's the long and short of it. But what I would say to the players, to their credit, after an incre- extremely extremely difficult period, that they gave a lot of that enjoyment back. There was no lack of heart or effort at Hull City. I thought the performance was excellent. I thought Steve Bruce has, he's either listened or he's looked and he's seen what the fans have been saying about three centre-halves, about Taylor Gardner Hickman in midfield. And he's responded. He's given the fans what they wanted. He's given them a result that they wanted. The players have given them, the fans, the result they wanted. Carlin Grant has started scoring goals again, which is a massive thing. So let's hope this is a massive turning point for the supporters for the players, for Steve Bruce, for everyone involved in in West Brom. It's still a very, very long road for this season to bear fruit in terms of anything close to a playoff push. But even if we don't get anywhere near that, let's just hope we get enjoyment from here to the end of the season. Because as far as I'm concerned, if I go start going to the Hawthorns and enjoying it again, regardless of where we finish in the table, that is a win for me between now and the end of May. That's all the time we have for today. And if there's something you want covered on the pod, then you can always reach out to us via the pod account at Albion Analysis, or you can tweet myself, CJHall83, or at AnalyticsWAA, which is the Twitter account that Pete holds. Also, I realise we put a poll on at Albion Analysis around which of the forwards you wanted to see some deep dive data on. Robinson, Grant or Dean Garner. Dean Garner won the vote. So Pete is going to have a little look at those over the next week or so. And on the next pod, we will cover that as a section. We'll have a look at Grady's season overall and see how his data stacks up. We will be back after the Huddersfield and Fulham games to do our next podcast. Due to the proximity of the two games, we're going to do one pod for those two matches. So after the Fulham game on the Tuesday, we'll, we'll probably record on the Wednesday. So we will be back then. But until then, up the baggies. Albion have certainly been sharing the goals around this season. They're well into double figures now for different championship goal scorers. So why not take a leaf out of their book and do some sharing of your own with a McNugget share box? Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? 
At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.